She's on a passionate mission to change the lives of women. Since her days where she felt lost, had no one to confide in, had issues with body image and a terrible relationship with food, she now helps women to re-love themselves. On her journey of self-realization, she's participated in multiple fitness competitions, spoken on stages across Ontario, run boot camps for hundreds of clients, and provided professional makeup artist services for photo shoots, competitions, models, and magazines. These journeys and experiences have given her the expertise to help you achieve your own goals, whether it be to lose weight, connect on a deeper level with your loved ones, or to learn just how important it is to take time for yourself. You'll feel amazing, beautiful, and strong. Welcome to Relove and Rise. This is your life coach, Amanda Gazzola. Hi, this is Amanda, the Relove and Rise podcast, and I am so excited to be here with Krista Scott Dixon today. I know this woman because I have been certified with the PN1 as well as the Pro Coach. I'm part of their system there, and this is how I help my clients. And I believe in their approach so much because I do believe by giving everyone everything when it comes to a plan and getting them where they need to be. It's when that plan is done, what happens? And this is where nutrition and fitness and lifestyle is created, is I believe through Precision Nutrition. So thank you so much, Krista, for being here with me today. It is so honorable. Oh, I've been waiting for this for quite some time. Thank you again. So tell me a little bit about you. You can introduce yourself. I'm just, yes. Yes. Well, and let me say I am feeling feeling your excitement, and I hope everyone watching this is also uh, feeling it. <laughs> feeling it too. Yeah. So uh, I I basically design all of the coaching programs for Precision Nutrition. So Precision Nutrition, for those of you who don't know, is I think the world's biggest online nutrition coaching company. I don't know of another one bigger. Maybe there's some obscure one that I haven't heard of, but, but it really is, as far as I know, one of the world's largest uh, nutrition coaching companies. And so we don't just coach clients, but we also certify coaches, fitness professionals, wellness professionals, and that kind of thing. So we have this sort of two-tier thing that we do. And so all of the educational materials that go through Precision Nutrition, I have contributed to, touched, looked at, in, in, created in some way. So um, that's kind of like my day job. And then I also do stuff like speaking, workshops, training, I write books. So I'm busy. Yeah. You were just in Singapore like what two weeks ago? Three weeks I was, ago? yeah. Singapore, Jakarta, and Bali. Now Bali was just fun for a couple of days, but uh, I was doing some some workshops in Singapore and Jakarta. Yeah, bringing bringing the precision nutrition to the the peeps over like, in Southeast Asia. That's how big it is. You're bringing it across the world. Yeah, you guys have like graduate or graduated, but not even graduated have basically helped over forty five thousand clients successfully on like with the precision nutrition. Yeah, I actually have to update your number. I think it's actually 50,000, close to 50,000 at this point. And then we've had about 40,000 like fitness professionals or coaches or wellness professionals, whoever go through our certification program, like our coaching certification programs. So that's close to 100,000 people that have, you know, gone through our pipeline in some way or another. That's amazing. Yeah. I also, like, and you, this has not even been like your whole life. Like, you've done a few other things. Like, you, for instance, like, fitness wasn't even a part of like your goal for the first half of your, like, when you started doing a lot of uh, occupational stuff or just finding out who you were. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. When I first started university uh, in 91, I thought I wanted to be an artist. So, my undergraduate was in visual arts and film. 
And uh, yeah, and I, you know, my, my master's PhD, totally different areas. And I cycled through a whole bunch of different subjects, you know, cultural stuff, um, science, technology, employment, occupational health. I did a stint at an occupational health research institute. Like I did a whole bunch of stuff. And then, and then I la- left academia in 2007. So I quit. I was a university professor. I quit all that. I quit like anything to do with academia and and that's when I started working with precision nutrition but like during the 90s health and fitness was just a hobby for me and and uh you know it was just sort of a because I I got out of shape in grad school as almost everybody does and so it was a way for me to kind of figure out my own stuff and it became this hobby and then it became hey you know what um I can make good money as a personal trainer compared to a graduate student's uh, job that's not bad I'll, I'll I'll work that in and so like it's a sort of organic thing but I I certainly didn't set out to do it. I was never an athlete, like none of that stuff. So yeah, it's funny where we, we find ourselves in life, really. Totally. That was the same as me, like a woman of many hats as well, trying to find, and it it was through doing like your own journey and losing some weight. And you loved how you felt when you were going through, at least that was me. And then you start seeing like, wow, I could actually, and people start asking questions like, wow, I could help other people. And like, it's just amazing how it kind of the cards unfold as you go along. And precision nutrition was in that journey period, but it's amazing how far you guys have come by creating such a better system to keep everyone accountable with your clients. I love it so much. And I've heard only great things. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So everyone has their story of, you know, them going through a period of time. Do you have a period of time of like when you felt like you lost yourself? And if so, can you explain a little bit of how you came out of that? Cause that's like, I'm trying to share with women how, you know, how to fight, fight for yourself, fight for your right to be happy and get to a place of better well-being. Yeah. And, and I actually, like when you, when you ask that question inside of me, I wanted to, to make that voice of Mrs. Krabappel from The Simpsons, you know, where she goes, ha! <laughs> because, <laughs> like, really, does anyone get to their mid-40s without having some kind of existential crisis? Like, I don't think it's, it's possible. And I guess, like, before I answer your specific question, I almost want to back up and say, yeah, we're almost ahead. always in this process of losing ourselves and finding ourselves and losing ourselves and finding ourselves. And, and really, I don't, I don't subscribe to the theory that there's any kind of constant core self. I think that we're almost always disassembling, reassembling. And, and as soon as you feel like you have a stable signifier of your identity, like, Oh, I'm this person. I'm that person. I'm a fitness person. I'm, I have this job, whatever it is, it gets taken away from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to be sort of morbid about it, like I don't mean no, to be nihilist or anything like that, but it, but it's, you know, as soon as you hang your hat somewhere, the hat gets blown off by a gust of wind. And so for me, for example, uh, you know, my father was a university professor, my whole family are teachers. And so like going to some academic profession was very natural for me. And so I had it all fairly well planned out. Okay, I'm going to do my PhD. I'm going to be a university professor. I got this all locked down. And then when I quit academia, I didn't even have a, I didn't have a plan B. I was just like, I have to get out of here. I'm done. And, but I didn't have anything to go to. And so that would be one of the first moments where there was a complete um, dissolution of self. Uh, it was like, oh my God, everything I attach myself to is, is gone. Um, another example would have been, I had a, a chronic back injury for a couple of years that really restricted me. So all of a sudden, 
my identity as healthy fit person gone, right? So, so I think this is a very natural part of life. And, and I've recently gone through a major life transition where I, you know, moved, changed relationships, um, inherited a child, went back to grad school, like all these things happened in literally in a space of three weeks. <laughs> And, Talking and, about like breathing through. Yeah, I, I like to just rip off the Band-Aid in, in life. And I remember the sensation of, of walking around the streets of Vancouver, literally lost because I didn't know where I was. This is a new city. I didn't it's know all where numbers I was. there too. Yeah, and thank God I had my, my, you know, my phone and Google Maps, but I was getting turned around and like literally that feeling of being lost. Um, and, and I had this physical sensation of not even having a body, like not even having a physical body, just being this weird floating consciousness. And it was a very dissociative kind of experience. And it lasted for about two, three days. And I didn't get too freaked out. I was like, okay, I'm sure this is part of the process. But I literally feel like I lost myself in that process. But what I will say to that is that we have to empty the cup before we can refill it. So the process of losing yourself, I actually don't think is a bad thing necessarily. I think it can sometimes be dumping out the old crap, the old stuff, the old stories, the old identity, so that you can refill it and renew it and replenish refill. it. Yeah. So I, I think there's more, it's more like a, a seasonal thing where there's periods of destruction and annihilation. And uh, Pema Chodron has this great, great quote, which is something like, only to the extent to which we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is essential in us be found and i've always liked that idea that there's periods in our life where we burn it away or strip it away or you know it gets ripped off us or whatever it is that whatever metaphor you want to use we lose we do lose ourselves but i don't always think that's a bad thing that's no and i but the way you said that i agree it's not necessarily a bad thing because it's knowing that like nothing is bad is going to happen and learning how to Take a, take a step back and be like, okay, and rebuilding like by like little by little and like trying to figure out what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what makes you shrink, like what, what starts triggering when you start to feel like, ooh, like something where you can't breathe, like, and then be pinpointing like maybe not, maybe stepping away from that, those people or that environment and doing something different always, constantly. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, it's a very, like, if you think of it as a, as a, as a renewal process, and, and ask yourself to be expansive in it, I think it opens up all kinds of wonderful possibilities. I think the distress comes when we cling and when we clench and we're like, oh, but it's not supposed to be like this. Too controlling, right? Yeah, like, controlling. you know, I mean, in, in my case, I left, I left a, really, like a marriage of almost 20 years and, and I had everything sort of mapped out. It was like, oh no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this situation for like the rest of my life. And then when I changed, it was like, oh, but this wasn't the script, right? This wasn't how things were supposed yeah. to go. Um, and, you know, I chose not to have children. Oh, now I have one. Okay, that's not how things were supposed to go. So I think, but if you embrace it, if you're like, oh, okay, well, we're here now. Let's see what's up. Then it becomes very exciting. More um, open to it. Yeah, you become much more open to it. Whereas if you're like, but no, 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 it's not supposed to be like this. That's, I think, when you feel anxious and stressed and really uh, tense and freaked out about it but if you're able to flow with it and be like all right let's see what's up let's see what happens yeah like venture like making making that making it fun like yeah yes and so taking yeah. it seriously yeah and being like oh what's around this corner what's around that corner 
that's much, much more engaging, I think, and much more like real life, because as soon as you get your house of cards all nicely constructed, life's going to kick it over. So you might as well get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Wow. That like talk about just having a map out and now it's like things have changed. Have you enjoyed the process now that you have like been in Vancouver for a little bit and have done a little bit of traveling to like share precision nutrition? Is it things getting easier because you learned how to dance with it? That's, uh, I really enjoy that question. And I don't know if I would say easier. I mean, in some ways, yes. Like I've become, like I've found a groove. You know where you're going. I've hit a rhythm a little bit. I'm not getting lost so much. I can find my way on the bus. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and, and there is an interesting feeling of competence that emerges. So when you deliberately seek out that discomfort and you deliberately seek out the challenge and the uncomfortable like edges of the sandbox, and then you make it through, there is a wonderful feeling of competence and self-efficacy that results. And I, I had a, a feeling in, in Singapore. Now, typically when I would take, I mean, I do lots of traveling alone, but typically when I would do the big trips, I would have someone with me. I'd have my best friend. I would have my partner. You know, I would have someone with me on the big, big trips, like an overseas trip. Yeah. And this was my first big overseas trip alone. And I was so busy before I left. I didn't really think about it much, right? I was trying to get everything organized and getting my visas and stuff. And I had this moment on uh, either, it was like first thing in the morning, my first day in Singapore, and I woke up by myself and I was like, oh, I'm 15,000 kilometers away from my home right now. And I got here on my own and I navigated all the challenges on my own. And I ran through the Hong Kong airport to find my connection on my own. Like I did all of these things on my own. And I had this wonderful sense of like, oh, good for me. Right. And of course, that's second nature to a lot of people. And it is for me now. But these little mini challenges, we often avoid them because they're scary. Yeah. But when you push into them and conquer them and get through them, on the other side is a wonderful feeling of like, oh, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I, I love that. that you said that. I, and that happened just recently when I came to Vancouver in January for um, learning how to speak. It was called a quantum trainer with my business coach. And I did everything on my own for the first time as well. I did like miss the flight getting there. But at the same time, like it's nothing happened where like everything still worked out and not having kept my husband there the whole time because I, I rely on him for everything. It was like it was at the at the other side, I felt like exactly what you just said, like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I did it. And, you know, coming back, it was like, like, it was just like, oh, now, like, the adrenaline's gone. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. just like, it was a crash. So that, those little things are pretty huge. And it shows that you can do anything. Like, it's really cool to feel, especially when you do feel like you have to rely on other people and you don't rely on yourself because you're scared of it not going the way you think it's going to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it certainly speaks to the value of recognizing that if you want to get better and if you want to grow and if you want to evolve, you must push into these spaces of discomfort. Like there's no other way, but the feeling on the other side is so good. It's worth it. Uh, it's so true. That's so cool. And that leads me into my next question. So, for your journey, when you started um, in, you're talking about all these, well, I know we kind of, we kind of went a little bit in a circle, so I don't really know exactly the question that I wanted to ask, but when someone's starting their journey out for the first time and, you know, you guys are all as precision nutrition, you're about one habit and starting slow, making it lifestyle, making it so easy that you know you can do it so that you can build up the momentum and that confidence. 
did do you feel that and I know it's, it has proven its success rate but when I talk about that to my clients and talk about that to people and stuff like that they they laugh because like they know I feel like they laugh at it and the thing is that then I'm actually serious when I'm going to you know this is like a journey it's not just like a half-assed destination like you're gonna get, you know this is about instilling these habits how do you feel do you do you, how do you feel about that Dylan how do you like when I don't know if you ever get them laughing because they don't they just think everything should be so complicated yeah I want them to laugh I want them to laugh. I want them to think I'm a little bit of an idiot, to be honest, sometimes. Like, I mean, it's great if they buy it. If they're like, yeah, I'm on board with you 100%. I'll do whatever you say. Cool. Like, that's for a coach, that's obviously the best case scenario. Yes. I want them to laugh and be smug and think I'm an idiot because then I'll be like, all right, you think this is so easy? Let's see if you can do it for a week. Yeah, screw you. I'm going to do this. No problem. Right. And I, and, and, but then that gives them the confidence to do this. And yes. so they leave the session uh, and they're like, this, I'm going to show this stupid coach. I'm going to, I'll, I'll do this little task every day. And they come back and they're like, look at that coach. I'm like, Oh, Hey, cool. You want to ratchet that up a little bit. So they go from success to success, to success, to success. So, but the feeling that they have around it is I can do this because mm-hmm. I don't want them to feel, Oh, there's no way I could do that. Right. So people often say they want the complicated thing. And I'm like, hey, guess what? If you want the complicated thing, I will give it to you. Just show me that you can jump through these hoops first. Like you don't get to be team captain on your first day. Show up for practice. Eventually you can be team captain, but you got to show me you can do your drills and skills. And I think most people intuitively get that. And if they really do want and will benefit from the complicated stuff, uh, they will work for it if they're really, really driven for it. So that's, and, and sometimes I talk about like, you know, think about how, how stressful it's been in the past for you to do crazy complicated things. Cause most people have tried crazy complicated yeah, things. Yeah, all the fad diets. <laughs> all the fad diets, all the yeah. super like, you know, uh, complex workout routines where it has to be seven reps and it can't be eight reps, like <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. So I think people intuitively know how it feels to do something that's very demanding and complicated and how much you know, they, how, how able or not they were able to do it. So they have the feeling of like, oh yeah, I tried that for a week, but then my family hated me because I would only eat four things or something like that, right? Um, So you can also connect with that feeling and say, wouldn't it be nice to feel calm and confident and in control and not like this was taking up so much of your life? And I think intuitively people also are like, oh yeah, that would be nice. Like you can give them a sense of a hopeful future. Like, wouldn't it be nice not to have to think much? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, do you know, like, where does it come from where we think things have to be so painful and hard in order to feel like we're succeeding? Like, where does that come from? I think, it's, I think it's a white Anglo Protestant work ethic thing, to be honest. Like, I think it's a very, um, at least in North America, I think it's, you know, very much a Protestant work ethic uh, kind of thing that's been handed down, you know, within a settler society, a settler yeah. colonial society, uh, where, yeah, you had to bust your ass to stay alive, right? to not die. And, and I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole of like how the people advocating for that sort of self-sufficient lifestyle were not actually self-sufficient, but, but I think it's something that's been embedded in that cultural consciousness for a really long time. And it's left us with this intrinsic distrust of things that are simple and easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
no, I, like, and that makes sense because like that, like we had to work for everything back in the day and like and nothing was like, and you, there was this, like a sense of satisfaction for as hard, hard that you work, like the, the more hard that, no, sorry, I don't know where, why it's like coming out like that, but the harder that we work, there's more satisfaction in regards to that. But yeah. it's just interesting that like, you know, when you, you have like your daily like chores, your daily, you, you know, routines, your daily everything, like it's everything we feel, we overcomplicate the system and everything yeah. overcomplicate us. Well, and also, I mean, you have to understand there's, there is a fitness industry that needs to sell things. And mm -hmm. so like they need to create the impression that it has to be super complicated because who wants to hear go walk around the block or it'll be active 15 minutes a day or eat a green vegetable. Like you can't really go anywhere with that. You have to come up with food combining and macros and like all this other stuff to continue. It's like the 24 hour news cycle, right? Like maybe not that much happens in 24 hours, but you have to invent material yes. to fill that space. And I see the fitness industry and the nutrition industry is very analogous. Like we have already figured out how to eat well. It's not rocket science for most people. We can't improve on it. We can't, you know, same thing with exercise. We really, you know, any, anything we do is just fiddly details at this point. So, but as an industry, you have to keep creating new products, creating new demand, keeping that constant. So you have to invent yes. complexity and you have to invent a need for trainers for whatever and i'm not saying that they're not valid jobs they absolutely are but i think it's just really interesting that people have the idea now that like activity is something that you can only do in a super complicated way under the expert supervision of a professional for like 150 dollars an hour right like yeah. when did this occur and again i don't mean to be bad about think fitness professionals because obviously they have a, a wonderful job to do but if that's the only way that you can imagine moving I think that's a problem. 100%. 100%. So we're going to shift a little bit. And I want to know what Krista Scott Dixon's morning routine consists of. Do you believe in morning routines? And I just want to know a little bit about your routine. <laughs> I do. I do, actually. And I am a morning person. And, uh, and my morning routine has shifted a little bit because my partner works nights. And so he comes home at like four in the morning. And so my window to spend time with him is often between four and six in the morning. Wow. It's actually kind of nice because it's yeah. like I get up, we hang out for a couple hours. Um, and then, you know, he'll go to bed. I'll go to work <laughs> in a sense, not really go to work. I'll go to my home office, uh, you know, 30 <laughs> feet away down the hall. And, um, and then for me in the morning, it's, it's always the most important tasks first. And so, you know, whether that's uh, writing, any kind of like, mentally um, taxing work or, or work that demands focus and concentration and creativity goes first in the morning. So again, writing, researching, schoolwork, anything like that, boom. And the morning time is my cone of silence. I don't book meetings in that time. Like nothing happens. It is inviolate. Nice. So I usually work for a couple of hours. Yeah. So I usually work for a couple of hours between six and eight and then I get out, do some movement, come back another couple of hours. So I tend to work in like, um, like uh, alternating rhythms. So one or two hours of like focus and then either movement or some kind of different cognitive load, right? Like washing dishes or something that's different yeah. than staring at a computer screen. So I have this sort of rhythm and I try to oscillate focus, movement, focus, movement, focus, movement, or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's my morning routine and <laughs> it starts early, but I've gotten used to the concept of 
doing whatever at strange times, if that makes sense. That so, totally makes sense. And yeah. I kind of like how you, you apply that because now I'm like, that's like super me. Unless like I'm fully engaged in like something like I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'll let it go and whatever's happening. But I like how you say that. Cause like, I will be like, okay. And then I'll go do it, but then I'll come back and like, I feel good. But I wonder mm -hmm. if like, sometimes that's just like squirrel. Like I don't know. I get no, no, no. I, I believe that it earns you, like, for example, movement earns me focus. So movement is not accidental. It is the thing that will get me to the next thing effectively. So it's like refilling the tank. So I don't see movement as like, oh, here's a nice treat or here's an extra or here's an add-on. I see it as a prerequisite for being an intellectual athlete. Like movement is not negotiable because if I don't do this, then the next block of time is going to be crap. I won't think well. So um, I don't see it as superfluous. I see it as an essential kind of um, part of the whole cognitive routine of a day. <laughs> Thank you for that one. Thanks for helping <laughs> me with that one. Yeah. Um, I have to say to you, and I just, everything that I've seen that you've done, you, I didn't, and the thing is, I didn't really realize how petite you were, but <laughs> you are short and feisty and mighty. And I just wanted to say, like, I, I see myself a little bit, like your energy, like you tell, you said that you felt it. I feel it through you. And then just, I don't know if it's like your shortness that brings me, cause like I'm 4'11 <laughs> as well. So I just like good things come in small, but the, the way like you're just so black and white sometimes with like just saying how you feel like you are, the, you walk the walk and you talk the talk. So I just wanted to say that before, like I asked you one of the last questions. Um, and my last question is to you, if there was, you know, you're dead on your earth and this was like your last few, you know, and someone has been looking up to you or you've seen that they needed help. What would be one of the last few words that you would say to them, you had like three things that to get them to where they need to be, these three nuggets like to, that you've seen that have helped you. Hmm. Um, okay. So the first one would be your body never lies. So your brain is full of crap most of the time. <laughs> it invents stories and scripts and fictitious things. And it has cognitive biases and it finds patterns where there are no patterns. But your body is deeply wise. So if you're having things occur in your body, well, first of all, like make a practice of sensing into your body and reading its cues. And like, you know, do the, do the body scan. What is happening? How does my stomach feel? Am I cold? Am I tense? Am I whatever, right? Um, and then abide by its cues, like really pay attention and don't argue with it, right? Don't be like stupid body. Why do you need sleep? You suck. No, man, that is your honest reality. And so especially if you're finding you have a, a, a chronic nagging, like unexplained health problem, or you just can't stop getting injured or you get every virus going around. Now you may have a legitimate, you know, pathogen in you. Like, I don't mean to say that, that every illness is psychosomatic. It's certainly not, but you know, if you're having a lot of body symptoms, be curious and investigate that and, and ask questions about what in your life is connected to that and what kind of truth you're getting from your, from your body. So that's, that's piece number one. And also um, related to that, so piece number two, uh, follow the energy. So you will notice that there are things in your life that give you energy or take energy away or, or block your energy right? Where you're like, you're smashing up against something or something is draining your energy. Or when you think of doing something or you do it, you're just like, Oh, 
blah, it sucks. Whereas other things you'll do or people you'll meet or whatever, you walk away from that. And you're like, Ooh, you just feel energized. And, you know, so follow that energy and get the fuck away from anything that is sucking your energy. If you possibly can. Now you can't always, you know, you might be in a situation where you can't, but if you can get away from energy suckers and energy drainers, do it. Like be ruthless in cutting that from your life. It's, it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's a matter of life and death, but it kind of is. It does. <laughs> no, it makes the difference of like growth equals success and progress in your life. And those are the things that stump you and <laughs> get it. Stump. Yeah, see what you did there. <laughs> those are the things that really make you stay stuck and in your head. And you wonder if what's wrong with you, even yes. though it's not you. No, it's, it's not you. It's not yeah. you. Um, most of the time it's, it's not you, except when it is you. Like if you start noticing there's a persistent theme in your life, like everyone around me is a mean jerk. It's like, okay, statistically, everyone around you cannot be a mean jerk. Maybe you need to work on your social skills, but, <laughs> but in general, when you follow the energy plus sense into your body, you'll get very clear cues about, about where your life should be going. Um, and then the third piece I would say, and this is that kind of classic quote, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. We become so focused on problems and weaknesses and deficiencies and flaws. We, we, you know, we go down this dark hole of obsessing about them. Forget about that. Ignore your problems as much as you possibly can, unless they're actively causing harm. Go towards positive actions, changes, taking responsibility, taking action, looking for when problems don't happen, looking for when solutions are coming to you because nothing sucks hundred percent of the time. So look for the percent when it doesn't suck and look at what that tells you, what clues it gives you about how to move forward. So in a practical sense, um, let's say your back hurts. And so you might be focused on like, Oh, I suck so bad. My back hurts. Well, now let's look at this. Like take note of during the day when your back hurts more or less. When does it hurt less? When does the problem occur less? Oh, it happens less when I get up and I walk around and I get that daily movement. What does that tell us about an action plan for you? Right? And it's the same anywhere. Like where does the problem not happen? Where does it happen less? Where have you already solved the problem maybe a little bit? How can you just build on that? To me, that is like the, one of the most inspiring and empowering attitudes to life. Forget about your problems, to be totally honest. Like unless, again, they're actively causing you damage or harm, um, start focusing on the solutions. Start focusing on taking responsibility, yes. taking action, looking for solutions, being creative with your solutions, walking into situations and going, how can I win here? I don't mean competitively. I mean, you know, in an interpersonal situation, how can we both win, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this was so good. Like it in the end, it is about self-awareness and being self-observant, understanding like what's around you that is helping you get you to where you need to be and making you understand that like, you know, like taking some researching who you are and like what it is that makes you happy. Like people wonder like waiting for the stuff to come to them. Meanwhile, they have to go and seek out what's going on. Yeah. And comparatively understand, like having come back from, from Indonesia, this is very uppermost in my mind. If you live in North America and you have never traveled outside the rest of the world, you have no idea what unbelievable privilege and awesomeness you all, like the fact that you can drink the tap water and not die. And that, you know, people in North America tend not to die of horrible fevers and, and all kinds of things that are like routine 
in other parts of the world. Uh, You know, really, really think about, I mean, it's such a cliche to say, be grateful. And I don't mean to downplay like legitimate suffering. You know, we want to recognize that too, but really, you know, understand how much gratitude can really help you in life. And, and if you need context, go to other parts of the world and come home and be like, wow, tap water, that's a thing. <laughs> when I come back, I'm just like, I'm going to drink all the tap water, right? And, and you know, I'm going to enjoy uh, living in a place where there's mild threat of terrorism rather than an actual legitimate literal threat of terrorism, like stuff like that, that we just take for granted. So really do think about, you know what, what do I got going for me in my life? If I can get vertical in the morning and like walk on my own two feet, man, I'm already winning. <laughs> so true and it's the simple things like that that make the world go round <laughs> it's just it's so easy to get sucked down the, the hole of of like oh poor me and all this bad stuff's happening to me man come on like it re- like so, yeah switch that story in your head that's mm-hmm. incredibly important oh so true krista thank you so much for being here with me today i honestly had such a great conversation with you and you're just you're so you're like, you're so, I just want to hug you so much. Thank you so much. Um, how can people find out more about you? Where can they seek you out? Uh, well, Facebook's always a good option. So just search my name on Facebook. You'll, you'll find me. Um, Twitter, I rarely use, so don't bother. Instagram, I'm at Stumptuous, S-T-U-M-P-T-U-O-U-S. Um, stumptuous.com is my website. I haven't updated it in ages, but you can go and look. There's tons of stuff. There's so much stuff. On it's like, website. I mean, it literally is 20 years old now. So, I mean, you can go back into the Wayback machine. That's see, awesome. See, like, where you were. I thought working. about working out 15 years ago, but, um, <laughs> and, and be, and cringe at, at whatever completely outdated advice I give. But, but yeah, really Facebook is probably the best, uh, place Some to awesome pictures yourself. in there too. of you squatting? You're looking pretty, oh, yeah. uh, pretty hot back picture. Yeah. Yep. Looking good. <laughs> thank you so much it was such an honor and i look forward to chatting with you again all right love the episode of the relive and rise podcast head over to itunes to subscribe rate and leave a review it is really appreciated if you would love to connect with us head over to reliveandrise.com and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter for more free materials see you on the next episode